A Christian lady surprised a burglar in her kitchen. He was all loaded down with the things he was going to steal. She had no weapon and was all alone. The only thing she could think of uh, of doing was to quote scripture. So she held up a hand and said, Acts 2.38. The burglar quaked in fear and then froze to the point that she was able to get to the phone and call the police. When the police arrived, the burglar was still frozen in place. They were very much surprised that a woman alone with no weapon could do this. And one of them asked the lady, how did you do this? And the woman replied, I quoted scripture. The officer turned to the burglar. What was it about the scripture that had such an effect on you? The burglar replied, scripture? What scripture? I thought she said, I thought she, said she had an axe and two thirty-eights. But it's not often that you preach on Acts 2.38, so, um, so that's what I intend to do today. So have you got a Bible? I think we've got the verse. Have we got the verse up there? Oh, yeah. Sometimes, every now and again, it's good to remind ourselves of why we have back- baptism services. And, uh, you know, we've, we've seen three of our children baptized. There's possibly at least two or maybe three adults um, who will be baptised in the next service. Why do we baptise people? Well, you could say on one hand it's very straightforward because Jesus told us to be baptised. Uh, on the other hand, Jesus himself was baptised. Now, if, if you don't know very much about baptism, it's at the very least about people's sins, isn't it? And if you know anything about Jesus, then he, certainly his claim was to be sinless. So why was he being baptised if he had no sin. Well, nobody's absolutely sure about that. Uh, he said to John the Baptist, this was to fulfill all righteousness that he, do, he did it. But here's the sinless son of God prepared to identify with sinful humanity. And you could simply say, well, if Jesus got baptized, then surely all of us should as well. But baptism wasn't a, a Christian uh, uh, thing uniquely. So if you become a Jew, if you were a Gentile, hadn't been born a Jew, but wanted to become a Jew, and you believe the right things, then actually you could be baptized as a Jew and become, uh, sorry, as a Gentile and become a Jew. So actually baptism was just a recognized initiation process, if you like. It said something about your life. Now, I don't know why you came today. Maybe you're a regular uh, in our church, maybe you're a relative of one of the children was being baptised, or maybe you just turned up here thinking your friend was going to be baptised, but it's half eleven. I don't know. But uh, anyway, stay with it. Because uh, I want to explain to you a little bit about how dynamic this change is, how dynamic baptism is, and what it actually represents. Now here's this verse from uh, the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the book that comes after the what we call the Gospels. Uh, It's the story of the early church. And actually, this verse comes at the end of the first sermon, the first Christian sermon that's preached other than the the preaching that Jesus did. And Peter, in this sermon, uh, ends with this verse, Repent, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
That's why he says at the end. So in order to uh, understand what he said at the end, we obviously need to dip into the rest of what he said prior to that. And actually, Peter is responding to a very unusual event. If you're new to baptism, you might think, well, that's pretty unusual. Uh, you know, it doesn't happen to many people these days. Uh, maybe you've seen people baptized in rivers or the sea or the local. We used to hire, when we ran a ch- or part of a church in Dartford, we used to uh, hire Cascade swimming pool and baptize people in the, in the kids' practice pool. Uh, that was always quite fun, although it was a very hot kind of atmosphere. Um, but it's probably something that's unusual to you. Well, something very, very unusual had happened at the beginning before Peter preached. And let me just read it to you, because it's really quite strange if you're not familiar with it. On the day of Pentecost, they were all together, that's all the disciples after Jesus had risen from the dead and left them in Jerusalem, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And in fact, there were Jews from all over the civilized world at that time, and they all recognized their, their language being spoken. And this experience is so unusual that Peter has to say, don't worry, folks, these people are not drunk, as you suppose because they're acting so weirdly and they're coming out with, you know, these, with languages which they hadn't learned. They're not drunk. This is what has, has been prophesied in the Old Testament. And all through the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit had come on people at various times and in various places. But there'd always been this promise that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, would actually rest physically on people who believed. And Peter goes on, one of the signs of that, he says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Now, let's just do a quick poll. How many people here prophesy? Keep your hands up. That's, you know, a rough estimate, that's 65, 75, 70% of you. What was said in the Bible 2,000 years ago is still happening. We're still in what people call the age of the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is coming on people. Because if you know anything about the Old Testament, the prophets were a bit few and far between, aren't they? They were what they called schools of prophets. But then you get quite, you know, outstanding individuals like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and many others. But the Holy Spirit didn't come on everybody and everybody didn't prophesy. So one of the signs of the Spirit is that everybody is prophesying. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians, you know, when people come into your meetings, everyone is prophesying. Who's never prophesied in their whole life? Oh, somebody, oh, nobody. Okay. Well, I was going to have an appeal, and if you wanted to prophesy, we could pray for you afterwards. If you're not sure about your prophetic gift, then maybe you'd like to come to our ministry team, because we love to release God's Holy Spirit over people 
so that they will prophesy more. So Peter is explaining that that tongues of fire stuff, that mighty wind, that was prophesied several hundred years before, and now it's happening. And since what is known as Pentecost, which is the time at which we're talking about, the Holy Spirit has continued to be poured out on people. But then Peter goes on and said, it's not only about that. He said, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. To keep his hold on him. What's that got to do with the Holy Spirit? Well, what Peter is explaining here is that what has happened with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is because of what Jesus has done through his death and his resurrection. Jesus came and, I love this phrase that, Peter uses here. He says, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miraculous wonders and signs. Now let's do another poll. How many people in this room have either been involved in a miracle of perhaps of healing, but there may be other miracles, or have prayed for people and they've been healed? Just raise your hands. Now that's a sign and a wonder in itself, isn't it? If you're new to this church, then 60 to 70% of the people in the room, and this is only one of our services, I'm sure we could repeat this at 11.30, have not only prophesied, but have actually seen healings done by Jesus. And Peter is saying here, Jesus must be somebody from God, because he performed miraculous signs and wonders. Now, whatever you believe about those, whether you believe miracles actually happen or not, in the Old Testament, one of the authentic signs that God was at work was that people were being healed. And there were miraculous signs and wonders done by many of the prophets, particularly a couple called Elijah and Elisha. But here is, you know, here we are today saying Jesus is still doing the same miracles. Who needs a miracle of healing this morning? All right, well, you come to the right place, haven't you? Because <coughs> there are 50 or 60 people standing around here who have already witnessed a miracle who can pray for you. You see, God is trying to impress on our unbelieving, rationalistic, scientific, 21st century mind that miracles still happen. Some of you are enthusiastic about that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. In our church, it's happening all the time. In fact, we get fed up with talking. Can't we do something new? Can't the directors of the church get together and say, how about doing something new? We've done all that miracles stuff. (laughs) Well, it's never going to be, we're never going to tire of it, are we? Because actually, we know that that's a sign that heaven is invading earth. We know that that's a, a demonstration to anybody who wants to know <coughs> that God exists, that God does exist, he loves you and he cares for you and he will heal your diseases. 
So Peter is building up a case here. He's saying, look, God has fulfilled prophecy. He's poured out his Holy Spirit. You've seen Jesus not only performing miracles, but equally as prophesied, as foretold by God, he has been handed over to the authorities. He's died. He's risen again from the dead. And that death and that resurrection aren't just physical acts. They're not just a spiritual martyrdom, if you like. Jesus died for a purpose. He died that he could take the punishment for our sins. The sin, the punishment that we deserve for our sin has been placed on Jesus. His death was not only a physical reality, it's a spiritual reality. And because Jesus didn't, his life didn't end there, because he has been raised from the dead. So it's possible for each one of us not only to overcome death through our faith in him, but actually come into that life now. Eternal life can be yours. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish under the punishment of their sin, but would live forever with him, would have eternal life. And so this thing we call baptism is a symbol of that process. When you go down in the water, we talk about that as being symbolic of of being crucified with Christ. You are dying to something that's gone before. You are dying to an old way of life. And when you come up out of the water, it's like you are connected with the resurrection of Jesus and you're being brought into this new life with Jesus. And at the end of this verse, Peter promises that what has been poured out on the first disciples will now be poured out on you. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I'm sure our children and our adults are going to be baptized in the next service. That probably will have already happened to them because what they're doing now isn't actually making it happen. It's actually a sign of what's already happened internally in their lives. They have died to their sin, risen again with Christ, and are now filled with new life, filled with God's Holy Spirit that he promised before him. That's got to be a great reason for being baptized, isn't it? And if you haven't been baptized this morning, I want to tell you that you know, this is something that you need to do. So when Peter gets up at the end, you see, what, what happens just prior to this is that the, the way the New Testament describes it, the people were cut to the heart. Now, these may have been people who witnessed Jesus' miracles. They would certainly have been people who witnessed Jesus' death. Some of them may have even witnessed his resurrection. And so it's like God is, you know, lining up all these facts about his love and his grace towards them, And now they're absolutely, you know, suddenly their eyes are open. You see, when you're not a Christian, it's like being blind. God is opening up your eyes. Maybe he's opening up your eyes this morning and you're seeing Jesus for the first time. But they are cut to the heart and and they say to Peter, from the bottom of their hearts, they say, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? Maybe you're asking this morning, maybe you've come here for all sorts of reasons, but you're asking, well, what should I do? What should I do about the fact 
that Jesus came, that he died for me, that he rose again from the dead. And this thing, the Holy Spirit, you know, it's still going on. I sat in a crowd of people and they all believe, well, I kind of hope I accept their, you know, what they're saying, that they can prophesy, they can speak the words of God for today into people's lives. And if we had enough time this morning, we could go around this room and you could tell us about your prophecies and how accurate they are. How people call out people's birth dates without knowing them, without speak out their needs without knowing them and bring God's message to them today. That's still happening. And we, again, we could go around the room and we could collect up all the miracles that God is doing. Jesus is real and he loves you. And he's, in a sense, you are in the place of those people who listened to this first sermon. If you don't know Jesus and Jesus cries out and says simply, as Peter did, repent. What does the word repent mean? It simply means to change your mind. Change your mind about Jesus. Change your mind about the way your life is going. Change your mind about living your own sinful life. And now turn to Jesus to follow him. It's as simple as that. Simple but yet profound. Simple and yet challenging. Simple, and on one hand it may seem difficult, but it'd be the best decision that you ever made in your whole life. And God will pour out his Holy Spirit. He will forgive you your sins. I remember getting up as a young student when I was 18, when I finally surrendered to God and said, Father, please forgive me for wanting to go my own way and not your way. And although I could put my, you know, God had put his finger on specific things in my life that needed to change, the general picture was I, I had been going my way and now I was turning, I was repenting, I was changing my mind. I was going in a completely different direction. And I remember as a young student getting up and feeling something had lifted off of me. And ever since that day, 44 years ago, Jesus has remained faithful to me and always been with me. And as David was, was saying this morning, God is faithful. I'm going to challenge you this morning to make a response if you don't know Jesus. And that response might be in a number of ways. You may want to come at, at the end of our meeting and talk to somebody about how you can become a Christian. Maybe you're a Christian and you thought, I've never been baptized. Well, we'd love to talk that through with you. Maybe you'd like to be baptized in our next meeting if you hang around for that. Or you'll see on your, 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 uh, on your seat these little leaflets. We run something or we're starting to rerun something called Alpha. Uh, on the front of this leaflet it says, Explore Life, Faith and Meaning. It's a 12-week course. That may sound a lot but there's a lot to get through on this course. What we say to people is, well, why don't you just come for the first week and see how it goes? We sit down, we have a meal together, there'll be a short talk, there'll be discussion groups where you can ask all sorts of questions about the sort of things I've said this morning. And you can find out, you can go on your own personal journey of discovery of this Jesus who loves you. So do take one of those, and if you're interested in that Alpha course, then talk to the people on our welcome desk or come and see me. And uh, we'll tell you a little bit more about it.